maybe even ask forgiveness. But if you can say bad things to people and criticize people and put people down and that doesn't bother you, then there's something really wrong and you need to be talking to God about that. And many times people write in our own home, husbands, wives, children, parents, that's who we live with. Then we can spread out to coworkers and classmates and on and on and on. And so the words are so very important. And I'm getting this from so many different scriptures that I don't have time to go to. But you know what? When we're living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, we will show tremendous love toward other people. If you don't love people, then there's something wrong. I know some people are hard to love, but when, when the Holy Spirit is filling us up, we're going to have a love for people. We're going we're gonna to try to feel what people are feeling. We're going to have sympathy for people who are hurting. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to have a tremendous amount of love. We're going to have a tremendous amount of patience with people. Sometimes that's difficult. We're going to have kindness to people. You know how I know that? Because the fruit of the Spirit, three of the fruit of the Spirit is love, patience, and kindness. Another sign that we will show is that we will have self-control and sin will no longer rule and reign over our lives. That's also one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the last one. I have jokingly said many times, you know, that I'm working on the fruit of the Spirit and self-control is the last one. Normally I say that around the dinner table or the dessert table. <laughs> self-control is last on the list and I haven't got there yet. But you know the truth is, that's just a little funny thing that I say. The truth is the Holy Spirit is working on all nine of these fruit in our life all the time. And self-control will show up the more of the Holy Spirit we have another sign of being filled in the spirit and walking in the spirit and living in the spirit is that we will be a great witness for God you say well that knocks me out I don't think any of us ever feel like we've been a great witness for God we all feel like we don't witness enough but what I wrote down with that is that we will be a great witness for God because our actions will speak louder than our words and that's a tremendous, tremendous testimony. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be ready to share Christ with people. we got a visitor here today. I'm not going to point him out or make him embarrassed. He probably wouldn't be. But two of our guys went fishing the other day over Lake Altoona. And they met a guy, and they came back and had shared with me what a great guy this guy is. And, and uh, one of them said, I felt like he was trying to win me to Christ. And I said, well, hopefully he will. <laughs> No, both of the fishermen from our church are great Christians, and they had a wonderful time with this brother in the Lord, and we're glad to have him here with us in the service this morning. But what, that, that's the way it ought to be in the life of believers. We all have different personality types, and some of us are more outgoing than others. Some of us talk more than others. Some of us are able to talk more than others. But when we're talking to people about Jesus, you know, it's a wonderful thing that God can use us powerfully and we can say things to people exactly what they need to hear another attribute of being filled with the spirit and walking in the spirit and living in the spirit is that we will be at peace peace with God and peace with people and the Bible tells us pursue peace another place it says be at peace as much as it depends on us let's be at peace with everyone in other words let's do our part so with all that in mind, let's look at this. To walk and live in the Spirit is to be, here's what it is, to live and walk. It has nothing to do with the way we walk down the road. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with this one thing. To walk and live in the Spirit is simply to be guided by the Holy Spirit. 
to be guided by the Holy Spirit. So when you look at it like this, you're thinking, the Holy Spirit will guide my life? Excuse me, absolutely. He will lead us. He will guide us. That's one of the main functions. That's one of the main reasons that he is here in us and with us is to guide us in our life. And can you imagine what does that really mean? What does that look like? That means God, God is giving you direction. He is giving you guidance in your life every single day. In other words, we don't have to make our own decisions We don't have to know what the right choice is, but if we will get close to the Holy Spirit, if we'll get close to God, if we will practice learning to hear from the Holy Spirit and follow follow the Holy Spirit, it's an amazing, amazing life. Now, y'all, excuse me just a moment. for that interruption so when you're going through life and you don't know what to do how wonderful it is to know that God the Holy Spirit is going to give you direction and guidance and help you with the decisions that you have to make in life and I can tell you this without any apology or hesitation most of us get ourselves in trouble because we make decisions that we didn't even go to God for We can talk to God about things in life that we don't normally consider spiritual things. It's not just the church things or the spiritual things. He will help us and guide us in our everyday life. He will help us in choosing our lifelong mate. He will help us in choosing the jobs that come available to us. He will help us in learning and knowing how to raise our children. He will help us in handling the money that we have. And so many times we just go through life and we're living and we're doing and we're not even considering God at all in the decisions that we have to make. But he's there. God the Holy Spirit is here to guide our lives. Let me give you Galatians 5:16 in the New Living Translation. It says, "So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves." That's the same verse that I read from the King James earlier where it says, "Walk in the Spirit." What that actually means is let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Galatians 5:25, which I also read earlier in the King James version, it says this, "Since we are living in the Spirit, <clears throat> Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life, every part of our life. If we will, we will learn. You say, well, I don't, know. I don't always hear what the God is saying. And I think all of us would have to admit that sometimes knowing the will of God in certain situations is not always that easy. But you know what? Practice makes perfect. We get better at anything that we practice. And so God wants to take us from the time that we get saved, and he wants to start growing us. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to live and walk in the Spirit, and he wants us to learn to follow his guidance and his direction every single day. And one of the most important parts of that is being willing to, being willing to say, God, I need your help. I need direction. I need guidance. And if we're not hearing, just keep on asking, keep on learning. And when you know God has spoken to you about something, jump right into the middle of his will, whatever it is. Because if you're not willing to do what God wants you to do, why is he going to tell you anything else anyway? 
So we need to understand this too. The devil's trying to guide your life each and every day. Did you know that? He is constantly trying to lead your life and guide you. And I'm, I hate to say anything good about the devil, but he's doing a good job leading and guiding people's lives all over the world. He's got so many tools in this world that he can use. He's got television. He's got computers. He's got music. He's got social media and on and on and on. And he's pumping all these ideas into our brains every single day of the way life ought to be and what's important in this world. He is trying to get control of us to to give us our core values. He wants to make us think so many different things that are contrary to the Word of God. The devil is guiding us to put value on things that really have no value at all, especially in the light of eternity. He is constantly working in every one of our lives. You say, who, all the people out there in the world? No, yours and mine also. I come across Christians that have been Christians for years and seem to be more confused today than they've ever been. But we don't need to be confused. It's all a matter of what we listen to, what we believe, whose report are we going to believe. Are we going to believe all this? First of all, we need to recognize what the devil's trying to get us to believe. He's trying to get us to believe that all kind of sin is acceptable and okay and nothing <clears throat> wrong with that whatsoever. But we need to have the help of the Holy Spirit to help us to discern whose voice is this speaking to me? Who's trying to lead me in this direction and guidance? I guess since the old water didn't work, we'll try the new water. Oh, y'all, forgive me, but that was so good. So back to the devil. The devil is trying to guide our lives in the wrong path and make us to do things. He wants us to believe lies, and there's so many lies in the world. And if we're not walking close to the Holy Spirit, we're going to believe these lies that the devil is promoting, and he's done it for years and years and years. A lot of it comes right out of Hollywood in the movies and television that is so prevalent in the world today and I'm going to give you one example a very clear example there's many many more examples but I believe there's people that need to hear that there's so much sexual immorality in the world that has become acceptable not only out in the world but even in the church world how many people today believe that sex should only be reserved for marriage There's not a whole lot of people that believe that anymore, even in the church world. But every one of us need to know that the Bible is very clear about that, and we need to understand that God's plan is better than the world's plan. Because there's some, you know, what I would say, according to the world, decent people that think, well, if I'm in love with somebody, if I really love them and care about them, then sex must be okay. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says very clearly that sex should be between a man and a woman who have gone through the marriage ceremony, whatever that marriage ceremony is in their society, where it be either in America or some tribal place, they all have a marriage ceremony where a commitment is publicly made to one another. And once that marriage has taken place, then that's where the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. Now, if you've made mistakes in that area, Ask God's forgiveness. God will forgive, but commit yourself to purity in that. That's just one example. There's a lot of people that believe that bitterness, 
bitterness. It's okay for me to be bitter at those people because they sincerely did me wrong. They sincerely treated me badly. They, they hurt me, and I've got a right to be bitter. <clears throat> or maybe according to the world's plan, you've got a right to be bitter. But God tells us not to be bitter. You know why? Bitterness never hurts the people that we're bitter at. It always hurts us. It's like a cancer cell that takes a hold and begins to grow within us. And it will destroy us spiritually and physically and all kind of mentally in so many different ways. So we could go on and on and on all day with all the, all the guidance that the devil wants to give our lives. But I'm telling you, every one of them leads to death and destruction. Every one of them. So when God sent the Holy Spirit to live in us and to fill us full and running over, part of the work that he is to do within us is to guide us. And you know what? He's never going to guide us in the wrong direction. He's just wanting to, it's like the Holy Spirit is here saying, listen, I'm going to tell you which way to go because I know the end result. I know what's going to bring joy. I know what's going to bring peace. I know what's going to bring happiness in your life. I know how to help you avoid all the pain and the suffering and the heartaches and the brokenness and the brokenheartedness that is out there in the world. The Holy Spirit is saying, I know how to do that if you will just allow me to. And that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to guide us into a life of power. Now, when we talk about power, we know all the miraculous power of God, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. We know and believe that God heals the sick. We know and believe that God has raised the dead. We know that there is power in the gifts of the Spirit to edify and build the church. But there's also power from the Holy Spirit to help us in our everyday life. And I'm going to give you a few of them. First of all, the Holy Spirit is our, this is phenomenal. The Holy Spirit is our helper. That doesn't sound like a very spiritual or exciting word, a helper. That sounds like when my daddy was always working in the garage, working on somebody's vehicle, and, and I was the helper. I was the person that had to take the parts out back and dip them in a big bucket of gasoline and rub my hands all over them and get all the crud off of them, and I never got enough of it off of there, and I'd get sick and throw up while I was doing it because I was breathing in all those gas fumes. That's what I think about when I think about being the helper. I think about somebody on the job being the helper, and they're doing more work than the other guy, and he's getting more money than they are. <laughs> now, if you're a helper, you get, get to work and be the best helper you can possibly be. Because if you keep on helping, you might be that other guy one day. But the Holy Spirit is our helper. But think about that. How much do we need help? When we need help, there's nothing like a helper that comes along to help us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It says in John 16 and 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. These are the words of Jesus. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And he did depart, and he did send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to us. So you and I, we're not in this world alone. We don't have to live this life and try to know it all and, and try to be the success that we want to be without having the help of the Holy Spirit. God wants to help us in every area of our life. The Holy Spirit wants to help us spiritually, to walk with God, to read the Bible, to know the Bible, to apply the Bible to our life. He wants to help us in our physical life. He can help us to keep our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. He can help us, as I said earlier, in handling our finances, which in this world today, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. 
He is our helper. It's kind of like a simple illustration. If you had something very heavy to move and you knew you couldn't pick it up and somebody came along and the both of you could grab it and pick it up and move it and it really wasn't that hard to do. Have you ever had that happen? Sure you have. We all have. It's like if I wanted to move this communion table right here. Now, you know, I could move it by myself, but for the sake of illustration, it would be hard for me to move it by myself. But if somebody else came and grabbed the other end, what a wonderful help that would be. You see, when we think about the Holy Spirit being a helper, you know, that doesn't just cause earthquakes or the building to shake. It's like, is that really a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal. In other words, through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do things that we could not do by ourselves. And I want to tell you, that's exactly the way God wants it to be. God doesn't want you to feel like you have to be self-sufficient. God doesn't want you to be able to go through life or think you can go through life without Him. He created us, and one of the greatest blessings that He gets out of having us is to need Him. He loves us needing Him. And if you don't realize that, you need Him. And if you're trying to make it without Him, don't try that anymore. But how many of us do? We try to make it and make it and make it. Like somebody said, my life got so hard, I finally prayed. Things got where I couldn't handle them anymore, so I finally went to God. That's not the way God wants it to be. God wants us to need Him when we get out of bed in the morning. And as you've heard me say every day, every time you take a breath, you've had the help of God. Every time your heart has beat, you have had the help of God. Let that be a reminder that we need His help in every situation of life. Another work of the Holy Spirit, another powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our life is the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. That means purifies us. That means gets sin out of our life. He's working on us. It's not all going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen because we got saved. It's going to happen because we have submitted our, we've accepted Christ as our Savior, and then we have submitted ourselves to God, and we've said, God, make me into the man, make me into the woman that you want me to be. I'm willing to submit myself to you, God. Now I need your help. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, it says, <clears throat> Some of you were once like that. Now, he's, you'd have to read the first 10 verses as I did. And he's talking about all kind of sinful people and the things that they were doing. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. When we got saved, God purified us. He cleansed us. Our standing before God was that we became instantly pure and righteous in the eyes of God. And then the Holy Spirit comes along to making it a reality in the, day, in the way that we live every single day. It's a process. It's a growth. It's a growing every day. If you've been saved for a year, you should be living more righteously than you lived one year ago. When you got saved, you were made righteous in the eyes of God. But God's wanting us to be righteous actually in the way that we live every day. Not to earn our way into heaven, but to be pleasing to the God that gave his life and gave his son on the cross so that we could be saved. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives every day, and He will be speaking. If we have submitted ourselves to Him, He will be day by day, week by week, bringing out things in our lives that need to change. And then He works on those and works on those. And when, when He gets that taken care of, He moves on to the next thing. Now, many people, when they get saved, a lot of the outward sins kind of vanish. Many things vanish pretty quickly. 
But then we get to a place where we think, man, I hadn't done this and I hadn't done that. I'm getting really good. But then there's all kind of inward things that God wants to work on. Our attitudes, our commitment, our love, our relationships, so many things that he wants to clean up in our lives. Another thing is the Holy Spirit wants to make us more like Jesus. How many of you want to be like Jesus? Wouldn't it be great to be like Jesus? How marvelous. Well, that's what God's working on. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Jesus, or it says like Him, but like Jesus as we are changed into His glorious image. We're being changed into the image of Christ. We're not being changed to look like Him physically. We are changed to look like Him inwardly, to have the kind of love for people that he had, to be willing to sacrifice as he did. He wants us to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if everybody in this church, including me, started loving like Jesus loved? You know, it was love that held Jesus on the cross. You understand that? It wasn't the nails. I mean, they were holding his physical body up there, but he had the power to just pow. Those nails just pop right out of that wood and him stand there. Can you imagine how hard it was? Probably wasn't hard for Jesus, but when he was hanging on the cross and they were up there making fun of him and saying, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Save yourself. You know what I would have done? Pow. (laughs) All right, I saved myself. What are you going to say now? But that wasn't part of the plan of God. So Jesus had tremendous self-control to be able to hang there on that cross. He knew what he came to do. He came to die, and that's exactly what he did. The Holy Spirit helps us to do God's work. Do you realize there's work to do? There's a whole lot of work to do, and God helps us to do that work. The Bible says in Acts 8 and 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So what's that got to do with this? Well, I'm going to tell you. Philip had been a part of this great revival in Samaria where hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people had come to believe in Jesus Christ and they had been saved. And then some other apostles came down and and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And God led Philip to leave all that and go down to a desert and go to this Ethiopian eunuch who was on on a chariot reading the book of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit told Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage And guess what? Philip did it because that's what God wanted him to do. It's easy for us to look for work that we like. It's easy for us to look for work that's going to make us look good. I'm talking about God's work. But it's more important that we do the work that God wants us to do. You see, God wants me to be the pastor of this church, so I'm doing what God wants me to do. God may want you to be teaching a Sunday school class, and you're doing what God wants you to do, or to be an usher, or to work in the nursery, or whatever it is. So many of you are involved in some type of ministry here, and we love it, and we appreciate you for doing that so very, very much. God's got a work for all of us to do. And most of us don't think that we are capable of doing anything for God. Most of us certainly don't feel like we can do what God wants us to do. But the enabling power of the Holy Spirit helps us to do God's work. It's not easy for a lot of people that are pastors to be easy, to, be, to do the job. It ain't easy. 
But it's not easy to be that missionary that's over there in the Middle East and bombs going off either. But there's men and women that are there because that's the work that God gave them to do. And they're glad to do it. They wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And that's what's so important. God's got a work for us to do. It may not have a title like pastor. It may not have a title like missionary or deacon or Sunday school teacher or any other title whatsoever. But it's a work that God wants you to do. There's work that God wants me to do that has nothing to do with being a pastor. It has to do with being a Christian. A few years ago, me and some other men in the church, we used to go over to the juvenile uh, prison that was not very far from here. And we'd go over there on Monday nights. And I didn't go because I was the pastor of the church. I didn't even tell anybody over there that I was a pastor. Matter of fact, I told the guys, don't tell them I'm a pastor because everything changes when people know you're a pastor. I think it finally got out and then everything changed. But I went over there because I was a Christian man that wanted to go in and help reach these young people whose lives were a, such a horrible mess. And, and the men that went with me, we loved doing that work. It was the work of God. They finally closed the place down. It's not even there anymore. I don't know what they're doing over there now, but they closed it down. And it was uh, something that I loved doing so very, very much. We've got people that go to the nursing home. You know why? They're doing God's work because that's what God wants them to do. For the first two years that we were married, me and Pam went every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and did a service at a nursing home. Now I'm thinking, how did I get to a nursing home at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning? And then we left that nursing home and went to the church, and we did children's church where we had 100 children, just me and Pam in there. That, was, that wouldn't go over too well anymore, me and Pam having children's church for 100 children, most of them that came in on buses. And I'm not even going to get into some of the crazy things that we did, but God helped us. And then after church was over, we had to help get all those kids home on, on buses. And you know what? You say, well, you were young. Yeah, we were young, but it still wasn't easy. But we loved doing it because it was the work that God wanted us to do. So many times, many of you have been with us to downtown Atlanta, and we've gone on Saturday mornings and fed homeless people. That's kind of scary sometimes, but you know what? It was the work that God wanted us to do. And it's a wonderful thing when, when there's a work that God wants you to do and you know you can't do it on your own. You know that you can't even open the door for it. But all of a sudden, God just puts it in front of you, and it's there for you. And you know you can't do it, and you just depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, you are doing something that is hard and difficult, but it's the work of God. And you're loving every minute of it. <clears throat> That's what's so wonderful about the work of God. God told Philip to go and do that, and he went and did it. Many people believe that Ethiopian eunuch that got saved and was baptized by Philip was the first one that spread the gospel into the continent of Africa and that millions and millions of people were saved. The Holy Spirit also puts God's love in us. Romans 5 and 3 says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Anybody have any troubles right now? You got, let's read that again, problems and trials. Anybody got any problems or trials? Wow, man, things are going pretty good for you. All right, I see that hand. <laughs> well, if you didn't raise your hand, just wait a while. No, 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 I'm not preaching doom over anybody. There's going to be problems and trials in life. That's a part of living in this world. It'd be wonderful. I wish I could say, all right, if you'll walk down to this aisle, I'm going to come by and lay my hands on you, and you're never going to have another problem. I'd be the biggest liar in the church. I'd like to say, well, you know, if you'll give your heart to Jesus, your life is going to be wonderful. And I've probably said that many times. And you know what? 
That's absolutely true. Because that doesn't mean you're not going to have any troubles or trials. It just means you can have a wonderful life with Jesus right in the middle of those problems and trials. So this is very important. When we run into problems and trials, for we know we can rejoice in the midst of that because you know what? They develop endurance, endurance. You know, somebody doesn't just get up one day and they've never gone jogging or exercised at all and go run a 26-mile race. Is that right, Mike? Mike? Can't do it. Man, I couldn't do it if I'd been running for three years. <laughs> I used to run five miles a day, and I still couldn't run a 26-mile race. But many people do. But you know what? They had to prepare for it. They had many problems and trials before they ran that marathon. They had blisters on their feet. They might have had some shin splints. They had tiredness and achiness and probably a few um, Charlie horses. Is that what it's called, Charlie horse? That's a funny word. Funny phrase. Cramps in the night. All kind of pain and suffering, problems and trials before they got out of there. But I want to tell you, when they crossed that finish line after 20, what is it, 26.2 miles exactly or something like that, I'm telling you, all that pain goes away. Well, not really. But, you know, mentally, all that goes away. But they had to prepare for that. And what God is saying right here is that through the problems and trials that you and I face in this life as born-again believers helps us develop endurance because that's what it's going to take for you and I to make it across that finish line. We're going to have to endure some hard times and some difficult times, and, we, and we're going to go through. And during those difficult times, we've got several in our church right now who you know are going through some very difficult times physically. Well, I'm going to tell you something. This is helping them to develop endurance. And what it's talking about is endurance of their faith in God. Some of you, I'm looking at some of you right now, You've been through some hard times, and we've been there with you, and we prayed, and we trusted God. And you know what? In the midst of all those horrible things, you didn't give up on God. Your faith did not waver. Your faith in God was just as strong when when that problem was over or even in the middle of it as it was when it began. That's what God is trying to do through the problems and trials. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then the next verse says, And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You see, all that works together to keep you and I where we need to be with God. And where we need to be with God is having a faith in Him. That, Excuse me, one of these days, as Paul put it, we're going to have our ultimate salvation. That's when we die and leave this world and go to heaven. Or we go up in the rapture when Jesus comes. That's what we're looking for. That is the end of it all as far as this world goes. We're going to be in heaven forever and ever and ever. And it's going to be wonderful. It's kind of interesting. This comes to my mind because Carol Lewis shared with me something that just fits in here so well this morning. Things we won't say in heaven. You know what the first one was? How are you doing? (laughs) We won't be asking that in heaven, right? We might say hello, but we won't say how are you doing? Duh. I'm in heaven. What do you think? (laughs) The one I thought of was, how'd you sleep last night? (laughs) And then I thought, there's not going to be any sleep in heaven. Sometimes I really enjoy a good sleep. But just take that and run with it later. All the things that you think of that won't be said in heaven. Wow. 
And so that's the goal. Verse 5 of Romans chapter 5 says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Tremendous. What is that song that comes to mind? Give me your, what it, give me your eyes for just one second. Isn't that a song? Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see all of the things that I've been missing. Blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you, I like that song because it makes me think of that. When the Holy Spirit is trying to put the love that God has for the world in our hearts. Because he's decided that we're the ones that's going to win the world to Christ. And that will happen when we start loving people the way God loves them. And it's not that easy. You might be thinking, well, I love people just like God loves them. I don't know that I do. Because think about this. We will pray a whole lot harder for our children if they're unsaved than we do somebody else's children over in another part of the world. But God loves our children, and he loves their children. And that's why I believe that every born-again believer ought to love missions because we want our children to be saved. We should want their children to be saved. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with the love of God. Another thing is the Holy Spirit works in us powerfully to give us hope. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with the confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's a terrible place in life when you come to that place where you lose hope, where you have no hope. Maybe you're physically ill and sick and you just have no hope of getting better. Well, God wants to give us that hope. God wants us to have this feeling inside that things will be better. Things can be better. And if we're a child of God, we can absolutely have hope that whether it's in this life, we will know that in the next life, it is going to be better. And I'm telling you, many people have been healed when they died. You might say, well, that's a cop-out, Pastor. We're praying for healing. Well, I want to tell you something. If I'm sick and I die, you rejoice because I instantly got healed by the power of God. People that are lame in this world, when they wake up in heaven, they can run up and down the streets of gold. People that are blind in this life, when they go into heaven, all of a sudden they're going to see more clearly than they could have ever seen in this world. How wonderful is that going to be? It's going to be marvelous, incredibly marvelous. So we got a great hope, not only a hope for heaven, but a lot of hope in this life. If you're going through something right now that's horrible, just start thinking, it can get better. God can make it better. What I'm going through right now, what maybe you've been going through for years, can change by the power of Almighty God. The Holy Spirit also teaches and gives insight. Boy, this is good. <clears throat> we need to understand this. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, these are the words of Jesus, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Can you believe that? How many of you need the Holy Spirit to help you remember more and more as time goes by? But you know what the Holy Spirit wants to help us remember? He wants to help us remember the Word of God. Oh, he'll help you remember all kind of things. I believe that. But I'm telling you, he wants you to remember what God has said. He wants us to remember the promises of his word, the, the protection of his word. I, I'm telling you, when, when people come in 
as someone did this morning, and they were sharing with me. I just said hello, and before I knew it, four or five different verses had come out of their mouth. And they weren't just trying to be ultra-spiritual. They were, that word was so deeply rooted in their heart and mind. What a blessing. What a tremendous blessing. So the Holy Spirit will help you. He will help you remember things. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, it says, but as it is written, this is good. Matter of fact, I could have preached the whole morning just from this verse. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Get to know that verse. I would say it every single day because it reminds us that God has prepared things for us that we don't even know about. God has prepared things in heaven. He's prepared things in this earth that we could not, we've never seen, we've never heard. We can't even imagine how wonderful these things are. And I want to tell you this, don't miss out on what God has planned for your life. Don't let the devil lead you down the wrong path and miss out on all these wonderful, marvelous, incredible things that God has planned for your life in this world or in the next because they're marvelous. They're so marvelous. But you know what? Not all of them are a mystery. God wants us to know about some of them because in verse 10 it says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. I mean, God can just lay, the Holy Spirit can lay things in us that God has planned for our life and we can sit there and say, oh, wow, look what God has planned for me. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss it at all. And we need to just make a statement of declaration. I am not going to miss the things that God has for me. Most of them are in heaven, but there's a lot of good things here. You know how you miss them? By just setting God aside, pushing him off, and going down your own path, and living your own life, and living as if he does not exist. Let me give you a couple more real quick. The Holy Spirit helps us when we pray. You ever tried to pray and you just felt like you couldn't pray? Romans 8, 26, it says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. You keep seeing that word over and over, helper. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. When we are praying in the prayer language that God gives us, I'm telling you, we are saying the words of God. We are praying the words of God. When we're praying and and calling out to God and we just can't put the words together in our own language, the Holy Spirit begins to pray through us. And it's powerful and it's anointed. And it's a language, it's the words that God is putting in our heart. And we're always praying perfectly according to his will. And God is listening to everything that we're praying because it's his words. Paul talked a lot about that. He said, I'd rather, play, I'd rather speak five words that could be understood in the church than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Was he saying that we should not pray in the spirit in the church? No. He's saying we need to be praying privately 
in the Spirit. Letting God pray through us. And you might be praying in the Spirit for an hour, 30 minutes, 5 minutes. And you might not have even said a word in English, but you know what? You have prayed a powerful prayer. And the Bible says when we do that, it's the Holy Spirit that is there helping us. Sometimes it's not any words at all. You are on your knees or in your chair or however you put yourself when you pray and you are just feeling something so deeply you can't put it into words and nothing comes out. But your heart is praying to God powerfully. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, too often we try to live this Christian life under our own strength and power. We can't do it. We might as well go ahead and surrender that. Surrender it to God. I want to just close with this. The way all this works in our life, and there was one more I wanted to get to. He helps us tell others about Jesus, but all this is fine and good, but it has to be applied to your life. We have to allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. We have to allow Him. We have to submit. How do you do that? First of all, you surrender your life to Christ. That should have happened when you got saved, but it might need to happen again. You might just need to come to God today and say, God, I'm holding on to some stuff that I don't need to be holding on to. God, I surrender. Lord, I'm surrendering my life. I know it's scary. I'm giving up control. I'm just kind of jumping out there without any way of knowing how I'm going to make it. But, God, I'm surrendering it all to you. I'm going to quit running my life. God, you're going to run it. I'm going to live. I'm going to work. I'm going to be a father, a mother, a dad, whatever it might be. But, God, I'm giving you control. I'm putting you in charge. And then we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit. When he starts speaking to us, we've got to listen. And you know what? He speaks to us through his word so many times. So many times we're just sitting, okay, Lord, I'm waiting for you to speak. God, I need some guidance and direction. And we don't even pick up the Bible. But you know what? The Bible does say that this is the sword of who? This is the sword of the Spirit. This is the way the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us. Yeah, many times He will give us a personal direction and guidance for a certain situation if we're walking close to Him. But if if we're not reading the Bible, if we're not listening to what God is saying to us through His Word, then He's probably thinking, why should I tell Him anything else? But He speaks through His Word. So many answers to the situations that we face every day. The answer is right here. And the Holy Spirit will bring it to our remembrance. The Holy Spirit will lead us to it. But we've got to cooperate. We've got to submit. And we must obey. We've got to obey. Not always easy to obey what God has led us to do. But you know what? We can do it. We can do it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And I want to ask.